Well, good morning. Uh, I, I tend to move around a lot more, so we'll see what happens. I, I don't have a pulpit. I have a coffee table um, back at Grace Brevard. So I, I have known you guys, this church, really since its inception um, 15 years ago. I moved to Western North Carolina in 2004 with my kids and my wife. Um, and so we have been part of kind of watching you grow into a body and we have loved your heart to serve the community, to serve the people around you. And so, as he said, I was a youth pastor for 20 years, which is like, I'm not even sure it's legal to be that long in youth ministry. But I loved it. I didn't want to leave, but God made me in a sense to where I, I started helping other church plants. We helped our church plant in Tryon. And then our head pastor at Grace Mills River um, left, and so I was the interim. So even as an EPC pastor, I was the interim at a PCA church for for two years, which was kind of weird. And then after that, ended up planting a year and a half ago, planting Grace Brevard. So we are connected with you guys. You have actually, whether you know it or not, you have been really supportive of us, even financially. I don't know if you knew that or not, but you have helped us launch a new work in Brevard where they're... Um, there's a lot of churches, but not a lot of churches that are like what we do as far as um, an EPC church that's out to, to truly just serve the community. And so we've been doing that for about a year and a half, and we just were able to hire a communities pastor. And so he's preaching right now um, for me to let me come down here um, to be with you. The last time I've been with you was actually for Anthony's ordination um, a year or so ago. And so it's, it's fun for me to be here, to be part of it, to see, to see some familiar faces. And I've known Sean for a long time and Richard King. We used to play football in Asheville together. So it's fun for me to get to, to hang out with you. This morning, we're going to go through one of Jesus's parables. And I got to be frank with you, it's one of his more annoying parables. Am I allowed to say that in church? Um, it's a tough one because it's... Jesus has a running theme through a lot of his parables, which just so happen to really hit me where, where I'm cracked the most. And it's a, it's a phrase that if you have kids or if you've ever been a kid, so that should be most of you in this room, there's one phrase that is universal that we have all learned and we have all said more times than you can possibly imagine, that's not fair. We say it all the time. Your kids don't know that they shouldn't say it out loud, so they just go ahead and say it. But we as adults think it all the time. And so this morning, we're going to talk through a parable, which is a completely unfair parable that Jesus is saying, here's the deal. You don't know what fairness means. You have a concept, but you don't really know what it means. So to get into that, I just want to kind of to ease into it. And think about what are some of these unfair things in life. There's, I want to look at it constantly this morning from both sides about how I say that's not fair when I see someone else getting a benefit that I don't think they deserve. But then I also want to look at it from the opposite perspective of what are things that I get that other people look at that and say, well, that's not fair. And so when I was in college, I went to Texas A&M a long, long time ago. And I was a marketing major, so my first degree uh, is marketing. And a buddy of mine, his dad, was one of the senior VPs at an ad agency in Austin. I grew up in Austin. And they got me an internship job at this company called GSDNM. 
And it's a, back then, it was a, it's a middle-sized ad agency. It was really it was fun. It was cool. We had like the Coors account and Ben Hogan Golf account and Barks Root Beer account and Hawaiian Punch. And like, so if you would go into the, uh, the staff lounge thing, if you would, uh, if you would press like the, the Barks Root Beer, you put, it's only a quarter for a, for a beverage. But if you press it twice really fast, you get two. And so I could go in and get a six-pack of Hawaiian Punch for 75 cents. So as a 19-year-old poor kid, that was awesome. So I was working at this great ad agency, and I was working with a lot of the, um, the creative types because they're, they're the ones I kind of jive with the most. But I look back, and it was completely unfair that I had that. There are people in my marketing classes that are far smarter, far more creative, but I happen to know someone and that someone got me a job there, and I happened to be, the I was part of the last set of interns that were paid by the company. The summer after, I, I was there for two summers, the summer after I left, they've all been working 40 hour a week all summer long for free. And so I got to work there to be paid. I worked with the creative guys, and creative guys would roll in at 10 a.m., because that's when they woke up, and they would do some, some creative stuff, whatever that means, for about two hours, and then they'd take me to go get Mexican food for two hours, and then they'd come back for two hours, and they're done. But they got their work done, and they were brilliant, but you look at that and like, hold on, those guys are working four hours a day, and they're getting paid that? That's not fair. It's easy to look at so many things in life and say, you know what, that's not fair. Like, it's not fair that teachers get paid this, but CEOs get paid this. Or it's not fair that that person has political power where this person over here is completely marginalized and has no power. It's not fair that that, that family has that house and my family has this house. We constantly are in a, hold on a second, that's not fair. So let's look at this passage. And it's Matthew 20, and Jesus is going to tell a parable. And remember, parables are, uh, it's really trying to get across one major point. You can't pick apart every single word and say, well, this particular word signifies this. It's, it's getting across one major point, and that point this morning is the, uh, the unfairness of the gospel. So for the kingdom of heaven... And Jesus almost always starts his parables with that phrase, the kingdom of heaven, because he's laying up the, the parallels between the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Well, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, which is a normal day's wage, he sent them into his vineyard and going out, at about the third hour, the third hour is about 9 a.m., he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and to them he said, you, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, that's a really important phrase, whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went, and going out again about the sixth hour, which is noon, and the ninth hour, which is three o'clock in the afternoon, he did the same thing. And about the 11th hour, this is where it gets crazy, at five in the afternoon, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one's hired us. And he said to them, Will you go into the vineyard too? And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, 
Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last and up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour, five o'clock, when they came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first, those who had been there for twelve hours, they thought that they would receive more. Now, put yourself in their shoes now. They've been there for twelve hours, and they just saw that the guys there for one hour got a denarius. They're getting excited. They're like, we're getting a serious bonus. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last workers only worked one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? And so the last will be first and the first last. This is a hard parable for me to swallow. I'll tell you, I'll I'll just go ahead and be transparent is I put myself... uh, I'm a self-proclaimed church rat. I grew up in the church. Whenever I was uh, a kid, I was in like the, the children's musicals. When I was in middle school, I was always doing the youth group stuff. And so I grew up in the church. And so in this perspective, I, I am, I'm going to teach you or preach more from the early worker perspective, but I also know that that's not all of us. We're all different. And some of you are going to be more in the late workers, some in the early workers, and a lot in the middle. So just warning you that I'm going to tend towards the early workers because I think Jesus is really predominantly talking to those who had been around the gospel and around religious stuff a long time and about how arrogant that we are. And so as he talks, we need to understand where this stuff is coming from, that, that we all have a mindset of of equality. We are born with it. We are, I think we're given to it by God because God is a God of justice. And justice means that you get what you deserve. Now, the gospel will say that, that Jesus does that for us. But, but generally speaking, hard work pays off. Generally speaking, we know this throughout the Proverbs. I did a series on the Proverbs last year. That if you work hard, you get more. That if you study hard, you get better grades. If you practice hard, you're better at sports. If you get to the work early and leave the work late, generally speaking, you will elevate in that company. And Proverbs says, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And he who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in the harvest is a son who brings shame. Generally speaking, we're, the world works on this principle, hard work pays off. However, we also know that there's a lot of exceptions to this principle. We know that that not always does hard work pay off. We know, and it really drives us crazy, that whenever you study really hard and and you get a better grade, but what happens when the teacher rounds all the grades up a grade point? Well, you already got an A, and that person who got a B also gets an A. Well, that's not fair. And Jesus is taking this and he's turning it on its head, saying, however, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is God's economics. 
the way God does accounting is different than the way this world does accounting. So the way that that God does love and does grace and does forgiveness, the way he does blessing is not the way that we do it, and it drives us crazy. And so we turn into... um, a bunch of religious legalists because I, I, want, I want my hard spiritual work to pay off spiritually. I, I've done good things, and so I want God to give me good things. And Jesus says in here, the first will be last, the last will be first, the rich will be brought down, and the poor will be brought up. Now, I want, that's exactly how these early workers that worked six hours were feeling about the workers that worked one hour saying that you're fine if you're down there, but this is not fair. You don't deserve to be up here with us. You don't deserve to be included in the kingdom of God at the same level as we are. I've committed my life to this, and you want to slip into the kingdom of God like a pair of slippers? And so Jesus has to turn this on his head saying that when people like me say that, I don't get the gospel. I don't understand what grace and what love and what forgiveness are. I don't understand my state of need. And so this morning, what I want to do is is go through uh, uh, three places of, of a spiritual entitlement that many of us feel but also the spiritual equality that the gospel brings, and then a spiritual enrichment that's awaiting for us. And so for spiritual entitlement, we have to realize, first off, that that this parable, as Jesus does with parables, he's, he's setting up an everyday example to make a kingdom of heaven spiritual point. And the spiritual point is how spiritually entitled that we feel, that, that somehow... Because of me being a child of God, I am now entitled to God's extra blessing. Somehow, because God loves me, I am entitled now to have extra things. And so we see that in the passage as as the early workers, the ones who'd worked all day long, they come to the, the landowner, the master, they come to the father, they come to God, and they say a couple of things, is they grumbled They grumble because they're saying, wait, this isn't fair. Why is it that they get a full day's wage? The same as me when I worked literally 12 times longer than they did. And then I love this part where the the master comes in, the father comes in and says, do you begrudge my generosity? And that word begrudge is literally the word stink eye. He's literally saying, are you giving me the stink eye? You know, every kid at some stage, somewhere in the fourth grade, fifth grade phase of life, you learn the art of rolling your eyes. Um, Middle school girls have mastered the art of rolling their eyes. But all of us adults do too. We just do it behind your back because you can't tell I'm doing it. But we all know what this evil eye, this stink eye is of when you look at someone and it's not necessarily what you say, but it's how you look at them. And that's what they were doing to the master of like, how dare you? And the master says, but I paid you exactly what I told you I'd pay you. What's what's the problem? 
And the problem was for them, and the problem is for me, it's not that, that I want more. I want more compared to them. I, I want to have more blessing in comparison. And that's really where we get in a lot of trouble is that it's not that I need to have more heaven. It's, it's not fair that they get as much as I do because then I'm not getting paid extra for the hard work that I've given. And I think that somehow my hard work for God has earned me more benefits. This comes out all the time in life. Like, have you ever said that in life where when things really hard are happening, like, you know, I've had some hard things with, with my kids. We all have. And our parents had hard times with us when we were kids. And I go, God, why? Why, why is this happening? My father-in-law passed away last year. God, why is this happening? And in the back of my head, in the back of my head, I'm like, I, I thought you loved me. I thought that I've given my life to you. And, and in return, aren't you supposed to do nice things for me? And so us workers of the vineyard look to the owner and say, God, I thought you owed me. And, and I feel like somehow, somehow I am better than the other people. Somehow I am owed more because I've given you more than the people who have not known you as long or who aren't as good a Christian as I am, whatever in the world that means. So let's look at the, the comparison between the early workers and the late workers. There's the early workers who've said, and that's the 6 a.m. people, hey, I've given you my whole life. I didn't do all those fun things. Remember all those fun things? Like I, I sacrificed and, and I didn't go to all those parties and I didn't, I didn't sow my wild oats and, and I've given you my whole life and I've given up on all those, those fun worldly things. And those people are just, they wasted their life. It's like what Charles and Jimmy were talking about. But, and you just try to slip in at the last second? That's not fair. So the early workers feel like we deserve more. But in the late workers, and being a pastor for, I mean, I've been a pastor for 25 years, I've heard so many people who have come in to the kingdom later in life who lament those fun times, who are like, you have no idea how much damage I did to myself, to my family, my friends, the, all those fun things you're talking about, yeah, they were fun for a minute, and it did so much damage. And so the early workers looked to the late workers saying, well, it's not fair because they got to sit around idle for a long time. The, late, the, the ones who came in later are like, I wish I would have come in earlier so I could have had a richer relationship with the Lord. I, I'm only going to get a few years before I'm dead. And, it's like, and so we look at each other with envy so where are you this morning? Where do you, where do you fit in this pendulum of are you more the religious type who who can look begrudgingly? Or are you more the like man, I barely made it by the skin of my teeth. Thank you Jesus that you have great generosity. We're probably somewhere in the middle of where am I? How do I look to other people and more importantly than that, actually this parable is about how do I look at God, about how do I look at his generosity? I had a 
probably about six or seven years ago, I had a, one of my, I shouldn't say this, one of my favorite kids in youth group. Um, you're not allowed to say that. You're not allowed to have favorites, are you? Love this kid. He's at NC State now. Um, we were on an eighth grade retreat down at Ridge Haven, the camp down south of Brevard. And we were going through this concept, but going through the concept using the, uh, the prodigal son, prodigal, you know, the older son, younger son, and, and talking about the, the unfairness of the gospel, which we'll get to that more in a minute. And we started saying things like this, like, what if, what if, this is a terrible thing to say, what if someone like Charles Manson, who has done so much despicable, evil, horrible things in this world, what if the night before he died, he came to a true repentance and a true, I don't know anyone's trueness, God does, a true relationship with God. And he had done horrible things for 80 years. And the night before he died, he actually became a believer and he got into heaven. And this kid I almost said his name. I don't want to say his name. This kid got up and said, that's not fair. He and I still talk about that day. He's like, he's like, I remember that was ridiculous. I'm like, yeah, and I was really honest because it's not fair. But neither is it fair that I have been led into the kingdom of God. I don't need, this is, I do not need any more grace than anybody else. And I sit there like the early workers, and I say this next line, it says that you have made them equal. I'm I'm sorry, you, you were already there. You have made them equal to us. And I have borne the burden of the day, and I make it all about me because I see God and I see heaven and I see spiritual benefits as what's called a zero-sum game. A zero-sum game is this, is there is a, a certain amount of blessing out there. And if you get more blessing, that means by definition, I get less blessing. So it's like... Um, it's like if I was hired by a company on January 1st and the owner of the company said that all the employees will equally split the profits of the year. And so I work really hard all year long. At the end of the year, we're not quite there. And they hire someone else on December 31st. And that person works for one day. And that person on January 1st gets the exact same pay as me. That's not fair. That's a zero-sum game. What we're talking about with God's blessings is he has an infinite amount. Just because someone else gets grace, just because someone else gets forgiveness, just because someone else gets a relationship with Jesus does not mean I get less. But I still want more. And so we act like we have spiritual entitlement. And you know why I act like that? It's because I don't want God. I want what God gives me. There is your key question this morning. Do you want the Lord or do you want what the Lord gives you? That's what the parable is about. About how I'm seeking what he's going to give me because I'm making it all about me rather than saying, wow, you are beautiful. You are generous. And what the parable is saying is not just that we're entitled. He's saying, actually, you're all equal. 
You are all the family of God, that for all who are in Christ, you are my workers in the vineyard, and I will bless you beautifully. And here's where I said, pay attention to what the other workers got paid. It says this, it says that you go to the vineyard too, and I love this. He says, whatever is righteous, I will pay you. So actually the word's not really right. He says that you early workers, you're going to get denarius, which is a day's wage. He says, everyone else, I'm going to pay you what's righteous. And so for us to understand that, what he's saying in the kingdom of heaven, he's like, I will pay all of you who are mine with the righteousness of Christ. I don't get more righteousness of Jesus because I've been a Christian longer. You don't get less righteousness of Jesus because you've been a Christian less time. We all get the full 100% righteousness of Jesus. And so we have to understand that, one, we are all equally poor. I love this, how if you look deeper into the parable, you understand these are all beggars on the street. We are all beggars on the street. Growing up in Austin, I remember uh, roofing a house with my dad. That uh, We picked a really terrible weekend to do it because it was sleeting, which is not fun to be roofing a house in the sleet. And we needed some extra help. And this might be illegal, but this statute of limitations has expired. The, there are street corners you can go to in Austin where you can pull your truck up and you can say, you know, I need this many workers with this skill set. And they will jump in the back of your truck and you will go. And so we had a guy um, for the day that we literally hired off the street and we said that, you know, this is what we require and this is what you will get paid at the end of the day. And here's what's beautiful about that story. There's a second half of that is as we were working on that roof. This really is a parallel to this, this, this parable because it's not just the master, but he tells, um, he tells the, uh, his second in command to pay everybody. As we were on the roof with me and my dad and this extra worker we hired off the street, that my dad and I, he, I have an amazing dad, and we get along really well, and we were having fun, and we were talking. This other guy that came and worked with us kept watching us, and he literally said, he's like, he said, I had no idea that a father and son could do this together. He had no idea, he had no concept that a father and a son could love each other and do things together. And so just even in the midst of that work, it was a revealing of this gospel work of the father and son. And even in this work, that's what we are finding out in the vineyard is as vineyard workers, we're like, wow, you are a generous father who loves your son and who loves us. And so that we are all of these on the corner, please hire me street workers. And the Lord comes and he hires us. And this is so important for me to remember is that he has called me to work for him. I'll tell you what work is in a second. But my works cannot and do not add to the righteousness of Jesus. Please hear that. You are called to work, which means to, to love the Lord your God, with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You're called to do that not in order to add any righteousness, because you cannot add any righteousness. It's because you have been given righteousness. You have been made his. Now he's like, now go share it. And so the gospel equalizes all of us. It, it's so beautiful to see that. Like, 
like Sean's back there wearing his shirt with like a million flags on it because he loves just what does it mean to share the gospel with the world. The gospel equalizes everyone in Christ. That we don't have, it's so freeing to think about that. I don't have to earn more so that I can be equal with you. You don't have to earn more to be equal with somebody else. We're all him. And we've been given outrageous riches. And we have been made instrumental in his kingdom. That we actually make a difference. What we do makes a difference in the kingdom of God. And so as we get to the bottom of this parable, Jesus uses this phrase, the first will be last and the last will be first. And we've heard that a lot. And he actually uses that phrase three times in a row in, uh, in Matthew like 19, 20, uh, the, the second half of 20. And so it's a first last sandwich. And so the first one is, uh, is the camel through the eye of the needle. And what he's saying was saying that, no, hold on. If you're rich, it's actually harder to get in the kingdom of God because, because you are, we actually just had this um, earlier in a prayer. It's hard because we are ensnared by the world. And so even though we're rich in the world, we're first in the world, we have to become humble before God. And at the, after this parable, it's where James and John, their mom comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, can you have my kids sit at your right and left hand in heaven? Because they're awesome. And they need to be up in power over everyone else. And Jesus says, well, if you mean, can they be with me? If you mean by that, can they be executed? Okay. They can serve the rest of the world. Because the kingdom of God's economics is inverted. That those who are in the kingdom are called to serve and be under and humble and even to be a slave to the rest that we are equally last in holiness, in my own personal holiness, but we're all equally righteous in Christ. And so what does that mean? What that means is that we are not just, we feel entitled, but the reality is, is we are equalized in Christ. But now we are also enriched in Christ. Not only is there a first last sandwich for us, the first will be last and the last will be first, we have a first last savior. This is the most ridiculous thing, is that God himself was the highest and above all, that Jesus was first and he became last. And as he became last, the Father elevated him once again to being first. Let me read you this out of Philippians 2. It's a little bit long, but it's so beautiful. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You see, he was, he was humbled all the way to become last, and as he did, he was elevated all the way to once again become first, and in doing so, 
Here is the gospel. It's in Philippians 3.7. In doing so, he gives us his righteousness so that we, as we are last, because I have no righteousness in myself, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness. So remember, this is like being told to the early workers, you don't have a righteousness of your own, but that which comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith. And so what then do we do? What is the work of the vineyard? Is I'm given the righteousness of Christ, then what, what am I going, to, what do I do? What is the work? And it's real simple, I've already told you. The first work is what must we do to be doing the works of God. And Jesus said, this is the work of God. Believe in him who has sent. That's the first work. The first work is not to do five things and not do five more things. The first work is believe. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I am on the street and I need you. I believe that you have come and you have died for me and you've died not only have you died for the bad things I've done, you've died for how arrogant that I am. And you've died for how I pretend like I have my own righteousness, that all of those were nailed to the cross, and therefore you've given me your righteousness, I believe. And the second is to love. To love in the church, to love outside the church, to love the way Jesus loved, which was humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. That God has made you instrumental to love this town. God has made us instrumental to go out and love without strings. Because God, unlike me, where I love God for what he does for me, I'm repenting of that. I promise I am. But so often I love what he does for me rather than love him. God loves you, not just what you can do for him. God loves you not just what you can do for him. And so the gospel is for the late workers. If you've come to the Lord late, your failures and inabilities don't disqualify you. Come to the table. Come to the, the vineyard. Come to his house. For this early workers, for the people who've been there all day long, the gospel is still for you as well, that you are valued by the master and your work matters but it doesn't elevate you over other believers or over anybody. And finally, just to be practical, if you're a late worker, if you've either come to the field late or if you haven't come to the field yet, the pickup truck is coming to the curb and saying, come on, come to the field, come to my house, come be part of my inheritance. Let me adopt you as a kid and you will have full rights of the inheritance of my estate as much as anyone who's been in my family ever. Full rights. Come to the table. Come join. And also learn from those who have been here longer. And also teach us who have been here longer because we get blinded and we need people who are new to remind us of the beauty of Jesus because I get stale. And lastly, the gospel is also for those who have been here all day the early workers, the one who have known Jesus their whole lives or a long time, that remember, don't give God the stink eye. 
Don't say, God, it's not fair that other people are coming in. Say, God, wow, look how generous you are. Thank you for being this generous. Rejoice that there's more brothers and sisters. Rejoice that we are now sent out into the field, into the harvest, to proclaim the beauty, not just the benefits. Benefits are good too, but proclaim the beauty of Jesus, that he has come for all of us, and that we all need him the same, and we're all given the same equity of the inheritance of God. Let me pray for us. Oh, Lord, what, a, what an opportunity to repent of my entitlement, to repent of my arrogance, to repent of how I look down on others and look up at myself. What an opportunity to, to be reminded of your generosity and get my eyes off of what's in it for me and get my eyes on to how beautiful that you are. And I can just rejoice that the gospel is not a zero-sum game. The gospel is full generosity of full inheritance, of full benefits that we inherit not just, not just heaven, we inherit you. Jesus, thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.